Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I am quite honored to be joined today by Nick Frost. He is an AKC judge and has a long, long history in a variety of breeds, including our Love the Breeds topic for today, which is the Basset Faux de Bretagne, as well as currently more active with Petit Basset Griffon Vendillon. Yes? Yes. Excellent. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trepanion can give you peace of mind knowing your pet is covered in the event of an unexpected accident or illness. Even better, Trepanion can pay your veterinarian directly and has no payout limits, so you'll never have to choose between what's best for your pet and what's best for your wallet. And if you're a breeder, you can join Trupanion's free breeder support program and get a special offer to share with your puppy buyers that waives all the waiting periods. So coverage goes into effect immediately. And when I was at the garden this summer, I was hanging out with Trupanion and I got a chance to catch up with Cindy. She's a breeder who's a member of Trupanion's breeder support program. And she shared the following testimonial with us. She said that Trupanion has been the best and saved me thousands of dollars. My puppy buyers love it, and I hope they always stick with it. A dog is never going to have an accident on payday. It's always when the money is tight. Cindy, you are dead on about that. So take a moment, guys. Sign up for Trupanion's free breeder support program now so you and your litters can be prepared for anything. Get started by heading over to my partner page, puredogtalk.com. So welcome, Nick. Welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So give us a little bit of 411. Your background, how you became involved with the FOVE, and a little bit about that. Well, I have a long history in short-legged hounds. I first met Griffin von Dion, actually working for an Afghan kennel in Holland. Oh my uh, gosh. Afga <laughs> Afghans were my first show breed. I managed a hound for one of the old Afghan kennels in Holland in the mid to late 70s. Okay. And when I came back, that's where I first saw Bassett Griffin bonding. At that time, they were shown under the one name. Right and divided into variety. But I saw the Petits there and loved them. I loved their character and their look. And when I came back to the UK, I sought out the kennel that had brought the first ones over to the UK. They were very rare at that time. Sure. And it was a lady who had Basset Hounds and brought the first ones into the UK. And she was retiring at that time. And I took over her kennel, bred dogs for her, and then for myself in the late 70s. And that was my start in PBGB. And also kennel their dogs for a man called Evan Roberts, the Baron prefix. He was a teacher, but 
he lived in a condo and was unable to keep his own dogs. And I did his breeding and kept the dogs for him. And he had had Basset hounds. He had actually had the top breeding Basset in the UK, a very famous dog called Fredwell Baron Randall was his. And he had some petite Basset with bonding. And I bred his dogs as well under the Baron prefix. So uh, okay. I was breeding PBGB for three people right. myself, him and for Joe Mills Meacham. And they were all mixed in together. Okay. Me doing all the work, basically, because... <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> yes, yes. But Evan and I used to go to the shows and stuff, and it was him who had become enamored with the look of the foes and, and thought, oh, you know, it would be nice to bring this breed into the UK. Sure. And so he and I started working together and in the early 80s brought in the first foes into the UK. So in those days, a new breed went on to what was called the import register. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of fun. Nika came in in whelp from France. And so she had a litter. Nika was a really nice foe as well. Evan was very lucky to get her. Nika de Viecom. She came from way up, almost into Spain, actually. A breeder there in Carcassonne, up in the mountains. It was a windy, windy road up. <laughs> we wondered where we were going. Talk uh, to me about the foves in France, because my understanding is they're still hunting with them in packs today. Is that accurate? Yes, yes. I mean, the breed in France was almost lost. I mean, it virtually became extinct. All the foves, there were originally three sizes of foves. Right. As in many of the hunting Families in France, there were three. Griffin Bonding, there are four. Mm -hmm. uh, Bleu de Gascogne, there are three. Artesians, there are two. And the foes, there were three. And they became almost extinct and had to be recreated. Wow. So, and in foes, just two of the sizes were recreated. What was the bigger size, or sometimes called the Grand Faux, mostly called the Griffon Faux. Okay. The foe being a rough coat, one in the rough-coated family, mm -hmm. and the Basset foes. It was recreated from, there were just a handful of foes left mm. after the war. World War Two is that? Yeah, and later, actually. Probably you're looking more in the 50s. I'm not exactly sure when they were recreated. And recreated using those few dogs that were left with Griffin Bonding, and almost certainly Jacksons. Yeah, sure. Um, Having had a couple now, I can definitely see that there's some wire coat dachshund in there somewhere. <laughs> absolutely. And you can see that in their temperaments too. Mm. They're more the Dachshund than the Griffin Bondine. The Griffin Bondine is, the Dachshund has that quickness about them, which you see in the foes. Yes. And so talk a little bit how your experience with it, when you've seen them in France, how do they interact in their households in France in that pack situation? They are so good with other dogs that pack hound is definitely coming through. Yes. Well, I mean, they weren't kept as house pets in France. They were pack hounds, like all the hounds. Mm -hmm. So, yes, they had to live with each other. Right. They're not like the bigger hounds that could be more riotous, as they say in France. And that was my experience. Mm -hmm. They're... Very sweet-tempered, I found. 
more so even than the Griffin Bondies. I never experienced a fight with my foes that I had, unlike the Griffin Bondies, that every now and then would get into it. Right. And talk a little bit about, I'm really curious to hear your input on this, because as I said, we actually own a fove here at my house, and we've done a lot of you know, research and talking and reaching out to people. And one of the things that we've heard sort of consistently across the board from other breeders is that they don't really reproduce true. Like you can look like you've got a good level top line and good straight legs, and then you don't. (laughs) So can you speak to that at all? I don't know about that. I'm not sure whether that was my experience or not. It may be that their pedigrees were mixed, so that may be it. That you're not breeding, you know, online bred pedigrees. So right, okay, that's- that makes sense. And do you think that there is because of having to recreate the breed, you're just getting throwback to the dachshund that's popping up? That's possible, but you know, that's quite a way back now. Okay. But it has to be said, though, that I don't believe that the French really have ever line bred either, not like the Griffin Bondine breeders did. I think the French faux people have bred much more for, for working than for looks. And I think only more recently, maybe in France, have they started concentrating on that. I didn't go to the Elevage, the yearly Elevage, right. as much as Evan Roberts used to go, but he laughed about it when he came because they constantly were changing their standards. And as to what was being bred at the time, so like the height went up and down. And <laughs> so we're going to make the standard match the dogs rather than the other they way did. around? They did, yes. And their description of the front used to change. So yeah. depending again on what they got. Mm-hmm. So, oh and that was maybe, you know, because at that time in the 80s, they weren't so far off on how they had recreated the dogs. Sure. So. Okay. They were so proud of their hunting ability. And the foes really were good hunting dogs. I mean, they had won the coveted Coupe de France, I think. Twice the foes won the the Coupe de France. And they were rabbits and hares, right? A bunny dog? Yes, yes. Primarily rabbit, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so talk a little bit about the differences, because my understanding reading the FOV standard from FCI, from England, all the rest of it, it is to be the shortest backed of the Basset breeds. So talk a little bit about the differences. And I also see differences in presentation that the FOV club here is really focused on a very limited grooming and just really au naturel and that the PBGV has developed more flair in its grooming (laughs) over Mm. recent years. Well, yes and no. As far as the grooming goes, and you know, it depends on the coat of the dog as well, because it's a shorter coat than the Griffin Bondine, and it should not carry a big coat. So, you know, if you have a foe that carries a heavier coat, you do need to trim it down to get mm-hmm. the correct top coat. And we used to strip our pups down to get a good harsh coat come through. Oh, that's um, interesting. So you pulled them when they were baby puppies to encourage the coat. Yes, like you would with a wirehead duck. Sure. We would take the coat right down. Because that short, harsh coat is important on a foe. Mm-hmm, right. And it's, a foe shouldn't look sculpted, but then neither should a Griffin Bondian. So, <laughs> you know, some of the grooming on a PBG piece is way out of hand. You know, I think it varies. <laughs> it certainly does, yeah. <laughs> Hang tight, guys. 
got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. And so when we think about a PBGV, it's a rectangular dog, but the fove is not to square, right? It's just more compact than the petite. Right, but a petite shouldn't be rectangular either. It's relatively short-backed, too. It does not call for a rectangular dog at all. I mean, a PBGV's length is, in terms from its forechest to its buttock, its back is almost square, too, between the shoulders and the tail set. I get the impression of being more on leg than a foe. A foe is shorter-legged, but still should have some height. It should not get the impression of being low to ground. Right. The way I understand it or the way I've processed it in my mind is the drag of the breed would be if it looked if it looked like a dachshund, right? If oh, you I've, looked at it and you're like, yeah. <laughs> But it should not have the look of a dachshund or the proportions of a PBGV. And one of the main differences is, of course, the short neck. It should not have the elegance of a PBGV, which has much more neck. It has a short, thick neck. I love the standard discusses the Norman arch of the skull, which is, again, a difference to the petite. So describe that in your words, because I really want to understand this. It's a slightly aquiline look, really. It's Mm. not a Roman nose, but much less stop than on a PPGB. Again, a little bit Dachshund-like, because the Dachshund has a slightly Mm -hmm. aquiline look about it as well so uh, mm-hmm. but much more jaw on a dachshund it's a square of muzzle right with good under jaw that's often a problem you see in foes is, is lack of under jaws mm-hmm. but a harsh dense relatively yeah. tight jacket 
right? Yes. Not a lot of furnishings, yep. good size, great with people, great with dogs, a little bit of prey drive, <laughs> right? The petites that I showed, I used to say that the ears were for decoration only. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I find the fauves to be similar. Is that your experience? Yeah. <laughs> Teaching a recall is a bit of a challenge. Yeah. But foes are better than the peeps. And I used to find the foes useful. In the UK, I lived in a, my cottage was in a wood. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful, actually. And we, we used to take the gang out. And the foes were good in that they would sort of herd the PBGs back in. <laughs> I could call the foes back and they would bring the PBGs back with them. So they were and useful. I find them to be quieter, and this may be just our experience, but talk to me, the peabot takes a hard knock from time to time for being pretty vocal, and I don't find the fauves to have that same character. I would agree with you. I mean, the standard, there's no mention of the voice in the fauves standard, whereas it's there, a good voice freely used, it's there in the peabot standard. You know. <laughs> they live for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so can you walk us through a little bit of, you know, living with your fove in terms of, you know, if you're just an average dog owner, you're not showing it. You're just an average guy that's got a fove. How often are you having to hand strip or brush through or your experience with it? Mostly if you've got a fove with a correct coat, it's really easy, really easy. And if you keep it right, it's absolutely minimal. It's mm -hmm. like a wire dachshund. It's every now and then. Right. That's been our experience with it. Very much a wash and brush free. Yeah. yeah, the little bitch we have is pretty low. I mean, she started out with some, we had to pull more, but as we have kept up on it, I think that's what I've noticed is that if you stay on it, then it's easier to maintain than if you try yeah. and get it into shape. Yeah. And pretty minimal health issues, my understanding, right? The POAG, the eye issue, and that's about it. Yeah, I'm unaware of. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, we never had any issues come up in those earlier years. So. And how long lived were yours? Ours is still just a baby. So, how long do they go? I got my first ones in about '82, '83. We started this, and then I moved to the states in '95. So I hadn't lost any. I don't think by that stage. The only one that had died off was Nika, the first one. Mm -hmm. She was an older bitch when we got her. Sure, sure. And it was very difficult when I came to the US. I had to decide what dogs to bring and what ones not. And I decided not to bring any foes with me just because, you know, there was only so many dogs I could bring. I was sort of in some ways heartbroken not to. I didn't bring any foes. I decided that I would bring some Grands later on, because I left a bitch with a friend of mine in Holland that I was going to bring her in well. And I did bring a male with me, but mostly I just bought Petit and a couple of Basset Hounds and a Labrador. Well, of course, everybody but, has to have a Labrador, right? Yeah, bred Labradors for quite some time as well. So, oh, yeah. Gosh. But I decided, yeah, maybe later on down the line I might do some foes, but I decided not to. Yeah. <laughs> and so, who do you think of as, is there anyone who would be not a great home for a fove? You know, I mean, we think about people looking for a dog, you know, what kind of dog do I want? Match me a breed. 
who would make a terrible fove owner? Someone that just doesn't have time. Mm-hmm. It's a breed that it needs activity. Sure. Yeah. But mostly because they are so, my experience, easygoing. I feel like they could be a potato chip breed. Like you can't just have one. <laughs> no, I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like all pack hounds really deserve to have a companion. But that companion can be their family, you know, I mean, great with kids, so they can be their companion, you know. Yes. But they have to be able to relate to somebody, either another dog or the family they're in. Absolutely. And are they, and I haven't experienced this, but I'm curious, your experience, do they tend to bond to another dog? Like if you have a multi-dog household, are they more dog dogs or people dogs? I think both. I really do. I mean, so many yeah. hounds are like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, but this one seems, mm-hmm. and it, I didn't know if it was just her or if it was the breed, that they tend to be more people focused than a lot of the other scent hounds. Well, my peeps are very people focused as well. Yeah. So Valid. they're both about the same in terms okay. of that. Yeah. Okay. And other than working on your recall and <laughs> making mm-hmm. sure you stay on your brushing and keeping up their coat. Any other just living with them quirks, if you would, that you would think that people should know about before they should acquire a foe? I can't think of anything other than that is in general with all hounds. And it's like, this is still a hound and it still can be deaf. You know, you can't trust them. (laughs) There will be that time when the blinker thing will go into play. (laughs) Absolutely. And I know that there are people who do some hunting with them here in the U.S. I assume they're a dog that you would expect to be successful at, like, scent work and barn hunt and those sorts of things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And better than a lot. Right. Because that is so keen in them and recent in them that, you know, in France, they are so set on how important that working thing is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all our lines are so close to those French and and other European lines where they're worked. And I think that that's, you know, for people to understand that they are still worked today. So that's real, right? Like it's not make-believe on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have friends in Denmark, foe breeders, and they all work their foes as well as show them. That's very cool. That's very cool. Okay. Well, I really appreciate your time talking about a breed that not very many people are aware of. And you're one of the earliest people involved with it. So I, I just think that that's just a great full circle opportunity for us to talk about. Yeah. Well, I'm so pleased this has happened with them because, you know, they've been around for a little while. But it seems like there's been this little mini explosion recently that yeah. they've come to the fore so quickly. And I'm very happy about that. I think yeah. they're kind of, for a lot of people, they're just discovering this sort of diamond in the rough, that this is such a cool little breed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly it was for us when I encountered one just by accident at an event. One of my patrons had this dog, and I'm like, oh my God, what is that? That is the cutest damn thing I ever saw. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was smitten. So yeah, yeah, they're a lot of fun. All right. Well, Nick, I will let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. I enjoyed doing this. Yes. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic 
are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.